Good morning. Super excited about this morning. I'm so glad you're here. Let's start off um, by praying together before we open up the word this morning. Father, thank you for the worship that we've experienced already today. And God, our hearts want to continue to worship as we hear your word. And Lord, we ask this morning that the Holy Spirit would take the truth that's in your word this morning and unravel everything that we tend to make so complicated about what it says. The simplicity of it is powerful and we want that simplicity to move us to action. And so we know that you are good this morning. We've sang it, we've proclaimed it, and you're always good. So we ask that your will be done in our hearts this morning as we look in your word. In, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, let me ask you a question. Raise your hand if you know somebody who likes to talk a lot. Okay. All of you should have raised your hand because I'm up here. Uh, all right. Now, raise your hand if you are that person who likes to talk a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I see some over here, pointing over here. Yep. Um, We've all got, really, to be honest, we can, we can say, oh, I do like to talk or I don't like to talk a lot. But really, and the truth is, everybody likes to talk. It just depends on what we're talking about. Um, if, if we find something that we really love, if we are engaged in a discussion about something that we're really passionate about, we, um, we can talk a lot. Um, I used my boys as an example at 8.30. If, if you want to talk about college football and recruiting um, reports you talk to Tyler Welchel that's uh, my gosh he knows stuff like I don't even know and he tells me stuff sometimes and I'm like uh I don't even care just <laughs> like it's so much just information overload Ben on the other hand if you were to talk to him it would probably be Star Wars or NBA basketball or um, video games like something like Fortnite or something like that he's gonna talk about that everybody's got their thing I've got things that I love talking about. You have things that you love talking about. What I want us to think about this morning is, I think there's one thing that I could say that would apply to most of the people in here, is that we have lots of things that we love to talk about, but the thing that locks us up the most, the thing that scares us the most, is the idea of talking about Jesus to somebody. For some reason, if that topic comes up, we tend to lock down and we tend to get quiet and we don't really have a whole lot to say because it's difficult. Well, why is it that it's so difficult to have a discussion with especially a non-Christian about Jesus? We talk about Jesus in here all the time to each other, but when we get outside of here, it becomes difficult. And why is it so hard? Um, Tom Rayner, an author, he wrote, uh, he, Tom Rayner says that there's several reasons why Christians have a hard time talking about Jesus to the, to the unchurched, to the non-Christian. Uh, one reason is that we just don't know how. Uh, maybe we've had little training from our churches, or maybe we don't really have any consistent role models in our lives that we can watch that, that model lifestyle evangelism. For some, we just don't know lost people. We don't build relationships with lost people. Most of our solid friendships are people who are within the church. And it's very difficult for us to build meaningful relationships with people who aren't Christians. And so the topic never comes up, unfortunately. 
And then one of the reasons Rainer says, which is probably more true than we want to admit, we just really don't care that much. It, we go about our lives and we're so busy and we're so sometimes in our little Christian bubbles that we just don't notice lost people. And we just don't think about it. We don't care that much. But of all of those reasons and others that he lists, I think there's one that's the biggest one of all. And that's fear. We're just afraid. We're just scared to. And the reason we're scared is because there's so many unknowns when it comes to should I have a conversation with this person about Jesus? And the questions that fill our mind are things like this. How are they going to respond to me? Are they going to be offended? Are they going to be angry at me if I, if I talk about Jesus? Will it make our relationship awkward? We don't want things to be socially weird, and so we just choose not to bring it up. Will they ask me questions that I can't answer? We're not confident in our knowledge of God's word. And so we're afraid to share Jesus with somebody because we don't want them to ask a question that we have to admit we don't know the answer to. And then sometimes we're afraid that they'll challenge us and make us look foolish. I think maybe in our minds we think that everybody is Richard Dawkins. Who is, a, who is probably the most famous atheist in the world. Somehow in our Christian minds, we think that everybody that we might want to talk to about Jesus is like Richard Dawkins. They're just going to chop our heads off, and we're, and we're not going to know how to respond. But, but those things aren't true. The thing that, that I want to encourage you with this morning is to remember that you and I were never meant, nor were we ever given the power to change a person's heart. But somehow when we think about evangelism, we think that the task of creating belief in somebody's heart is left up to us. That that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to create belief in somebody with our own words and our own knowledge and our own ability. But God never asks that of us. He never asks that of you. It's impossible for you or I to create belief in the heart of a person. The only one with the power to move a skeptic, hostile, unbelieving heart from death to life is the Holy Spirit of God. He is the only one who has that ability. He is the only one who holds that responsibility. We can't move or change anyone's heart. And so now you may go, oh, well, that's good. That means I'm off the hook. No, 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 no. That's what we don't understand. We're so not off the hook because even though that move in a person's heart is solely the job and the, and the power of the Holy Spirit, He has made us a part of that process in a way that is completely essential. And it should say something about the way He feels about us that He desires so much for us to be a part of the process of bringing people from death to life through the gospel. And the task that we play, the part that we play, is essential. It, it has to happen. We have to play our part if the gospel is going to change people's lives. And so this morning, I want us to look at Romans chapter 10. We're going to look at two verses there. Romans 10, 14 through 15, if you haven't found that already. And we're going to see 
here Paul tells us what are the pieces, what are the elements, the things that have to happen to transform somebody's heart with the gospel. These are all true of us if we have believed and accepted Christ as our Savior, and it's true for anyone. So look at chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, and I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. And it says, But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they have never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? And how can anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. In chapter 10 here, Paul is expressing his love for the nation of Israel. He's expressing his love for the Jewish people. And that his greatest desire is to see them come to believe the gospel of Jesus and be saved. And the thing about the Jews is it's not that they didn't want to have a relationship with God. But Paul tells us in this chapter, and we see evident throughout the whole history of Israel, that they tried to establish that relationship with God in their own way and on their own terms. And for them, that was keeping the law. And that's not unlike many of the people we encounter in the world today. It's not that they don't want to know God but they feel they, that that has to be done by them. It's their job. It's, it's by their terms. And sometimes they, they want to establish the parameters of that when, when they can't. God is the one who's made the plan. And so in that, the Jews had become blind to the forgiveness and the grace that God had offered them through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And that's very similar to today. So in this expression of this deep desire that Paul has to see Israel come, come to Jesus, he asks this series of questions in these two verses. And these, these questions show us the path that the message of the gospel has to take to change a person's heart. And there are six steps to this. And so what I want us to do is break those down. And I'm going to show you a picture. I want you to think of it as a clock. And we're going to go through and see that this is the process that Paul says that someone goes through when they have a genuine salvation experience with the Lord. Someone who experiences salvation is sent out. And, I'm, and I have to let you know, if you didn't already know, if, you are a, if you're a believer, if you've been washed in the blood of Jesus and you have accepted His grace and forgiveness on the cross, then you have been sent out. Not just the person beside you or me or Bob or any... You. You have been sent out. Every believer in the gospel is sent out by the Lord to be a witness, to make disciples. And as we are sent out, we have to tell. Because all of us are sent out, but not all of us are telling, are we? We're not all telling the good news, but we're sent out. So, so a telling has to happen. We have to share with people. We, they can see it lived out in our lives, absolutely, but, but the process of that step of telling is very important. And then in telling, it's heard. There's the hearing. The hearing that they hear someone explain the gospel to them. And then in the hearing, what we hope for is the believing, that in hearing the gospel, 
The Holy Spirit then comes and gives them the faith to be able to believe that the gospel is true. And then in the believing, as a response to their belief, they cry out and call out to God. God, forgive me, a sinner. I need forgiveness. I want to repent. I need you to clean me, make me whole, recreate me, give me life. Make me a believer. And in that cry, God promises that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so salvation is the result. And once salvation comes into our lives, then we are sent out. So do you see that it's an endless cycle with every person who comes into the kingdom, this circular path of the gospel continues over and over and over. And so I want to read that verse again to you. And what Paul does in this verse as he asks these questions is he goes counterclockwise around the circle. Listen to it Listen in verse 14. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring the good news. This is the plan. This is how the gospel will change the world. But our job is the telling. And you realize really in all of those steps, there's really only one of those that we're responsible for. God saves. God sends us out. We tell the other, the lost hear, the lost believe, the lost cry out to God, and then God brings them salvation. So there's really only one of those that's our job. But that's the one that we don't seem to be able to do really well. That's the one we get hung up on in the telling. But, but this is our role. It's so important. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. Listen to what this says. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Who did he give that ministry to? Us. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That's good news, y'all. People don't know that. People don't know that God isn't counting their sins against them. They think he is. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The message itself doesn't really belong to us. The message is God's message. But we are called to be the ones to give his message to the lost. And in those verses, it says that God is making his appeal to the world through us. He's making his appeal to the world through you. Now, we have to take this responsibility serious for a second and think through something. If the appeal to be reconciled to God is to come through us, and we aren't making that appeal... What are non-Christians left to think?
What does it say about Jesus to the lost world when we let our apathy and our fear stop us from telling them God's plan of reconciliation for them? They may think, because we don't talk about the gospel, that we don't want them to know the gospel. And you would say, well, that's not true. Everybody should know. But if we aren't telling, maybe they're wondering why. Maybe they think we don't want them to know it. And if they if a lost person convinces themselves that you and I don't really care or want them to know the gospel, then by extension it's very easy for them to believe that God doesn't really care and that God doesn't really want them to hear the gospel either. It, our silence sends a message. So, this is what we have to be faithful in, the telling. The telling is the important part. And so, how do we do that? Well, there's a couple of things that I think we have to ask the Holy Spirit this morning to undo in our minds, to undo in our hearts that we have done, that keep us from sharing the gospel, those things that make us afraid. And there's a couple of them. The first one is we have to stop assuming that they won't listen to us. That's one of the first things that pops in our minds when we think the Holy Spirit might be prompting us to share the gospel with somebody. One of the first things that we think is, oh, they're not going to listen. We're afraid that they're going to be hostile toward us. We're afraid that they don't want to hear us. We're going to get on their nerves if we ask them about Jesus. They're going to get angry. They don't want to listen. But I want you to think on the other side of that encounter for a minute. Do you realize that there's a fear perhaps in lost people? There's a fear in them because they don't ask us. Like sometimes we walk around just waiting on the lost people to say, hey, can you tell me about Jesus? Well, that doesn't happen a lot. You know why? Because they're afraid to ask you about Jesus. And there's several reasons that they may be afraid to ask you about Jesus. One is because they feel like they may be judged for not knowing it already. They may think that we'll judge them. Wow, how do you not know that? Or maybe they think that their questions will sound silly to us. Like, wow, I can't believe you have to ask that. Duh. Nobody likes, nobody likes that feeling. That's what keeps you from asking questions sometimes, is you're afraid that the person you're asking is going to think it's a dumb question. So you just keep your mouth closed. It's the same thing with lost people. Or maybe they're intimidated by us. And you say, well, Eric, why would they be intimidated by us? You know why? Because we do a really, really good job of making them and everybody else think that we've got it all together. We don't really need anything, that we've got it. We've got our families in order. We've got our relationship with God in order. We've got our church in order. We've got our house and our white picket fence and our two cars and our garage and our dog and everything is perfect. I heard something in some evangelism training that, that I did a few years ago and I've never, ever, ever forgotten it. It's so powerful. And it says this. I can't show you how much you need Jesus until I can show you how much I need Jesus. 
Let's stop being afraid to be a little vulnerable with people. They're intimidated to ask us about the gospel. Ask us what's the difference in our lives because to many lost people, we may look untouchable. And we think, well, that's silly, but they don't know that because that's the perception that they have because we're not explaining it, we're not talking about it. There are so many people who are willing to hear and they're never, ever going to ask. So we have to stop assuming that they don't want to listen to us because there are lots of people who do. The second thing is we have to stop assuming that they already know. We have to stop assuming that they already know what we have to tell them. We think, oh, surely they've been to church. Surely they've grown up in church, at least when they were a kid, and they've heard somebody tell them about Jesus. Surely they've gone to vacation Bible school as a kid, or they've been to Sunday school before. Surely they've heard the gospel. They don't need me to tell them the gospel. When they get ready to believe in Jesus, they will. I don't have to explain it to them. And there are a lot of non-Christians who think they know about Jesus. But what if what they think they know is wrong? We live life with people every day who think they know who Jesus really is. But so much of what they think is true about Jesus simply isn't true. And the only way they're going to know any different is for somebody to tell them. Listen to what Ephesians 4 verse 18 says. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. When I was a kid growing up at uh, Park Avenue down the, down the road, uh, I had an RA leader at one point. His name was Tommy Staley. Some of you guys might remember Tommy. Uh, Tommy is Jessica Minton's dad. Um, who died at a very young age, way too soon. But, but Tommy loved Jesus, and he, he was a beautiful example. And he took three or four of us boys on a camping trip one time. And we were like in elementary school. When we get to our campsite, we were at Sloppy Floyd or something, and we get there, and he, he pulls out a, a tent bag, and he throws it on the ground. He says, okay, boys, y'all pitch, pitch the tent for us. He goes off to do something else. We're looking at each other like, do you know how to pitch a tent? Mm -mm. Do you? Nope. Never done it before. And we're like, he thinks we can do this. We don't know how. So we all had to get the guts to go to him and say, um, Tommy, we don't, we don't know how. Can you show us? And he looks at us and he says, oh, it's, you boys are ignorant, aren't you? <laughs> and we all kind of freaked out. We thought, how dare he call us that? And we, and we kind of looked at him with this look, like, what? And we said, are you calling us stupid? And he had such a gentle, loving heart. And he said, no, 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 no. I'm not insulting you, and I'm not calling you stupid. He said, I said you were ignorant. <laughs> so we're like, how is that different? He said, I'm, you're ignorant. All that means, boys, is that you don't know how to pitch a tent because nobody's ever showed you how. It doesn't mean you're not smart. It just means you don't know about this because nobody's ever showed you or told you how. That's what ignorance means. It's not an insult. And so when the scripture says that the lost are darkened to their understanding and separated from the life of God because of their ignorance, they just don't know. 
Here's a statement that you can write down. And you may have to go back and keep thinking about it because it's a little deep. So here it is. You, you can write this in your notes and then ponder it. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And you, th- you think, well, that sounds simple enough. Here's, here's what that means. That there's, like, if this is knowledge, this is knowledge out here and it's knowledge that I don't have. This is something that I don't know. Because I don't possess this knowledge, it's out there, but I don't even realize it exists because I don't possess it. So I don't even realize that I don't know it. Does that make more sense? There's some knowledge, there's some things that you know you don't know how to do, but there are some things that you don't know that you don't even know that you don't know. You're completely oblivious to the fact that it's even there. Here's an example. When you were a kid, growing up, and you sat down at the dinner table, and your mom put a plate of food in front of you that you'd never eaten before, did you want to eat it? No. Why not? Because it was going to taste nasty. And you knew it. She put that food in front of you and said, here, try this. And you knew you had never eaten it before. And you were afraid of what it tasted like because it looks gross, it feels gross, and it smells kind of nasty. So I'm pretty sure if I put that in my mouth, it's going to end badly. So I don't want to eat that. It's a fear. And then what would your mom say when you said, no, I don't want to eat that? She would say, have you ever tried it? And you'd say, nope. And then she would say what? Try it. You might like it. I'm not going to like it. I'm not going to like it. (laughs) Stick in your mouth. And and you're you're just ready to gag before you even stick it in your mouth because you know it's going to be awful. You mush it around a little bit. Keep eating it. Wow. It didn't taste exactly the way you thought it was going to taste. It was a little bit better. You're still not going to admit that you like it. But you might go ahead and eat it. I want to tell you um, that that fear as a kid is what would keep you from eating foods that you had never tasted before because you were afraid of what it was going to taste like. But then after you tasted it, you realized, oh. This is not so bad. I want to tell you a story about something that happened while we were on our trip this winter, this past Christmas to Winter Extreme. Uh, We took our students up there as we do every year. And um, we got there for the first day. And y'all, if you've ever chaperoned with us on an uh, extreme winter trip, uh, you know the first day is crazy. Like we get to the church, we meet, we do all the traveling, we get through all the Gatlinburg traffic, we get to our hotel, we unload, I go to the convention center, check us in, come back, gather everybody together, split up into groups, go have dinner. After we have dinner, we meet back at the convention center, we sit through the meeting that night, come back to our hotel, have our devotion time, and then we call it a night. So um, 
the older I get as a youth pastor, the more spent I am at the end of the first night of uh, camp or extreme. And so I had a room, I had two rooms that I was responsible for. I had adjoining rooms, and it was me and about five guys, and we were, we were there together. And so my plan, we got back to the room. Everybody's in their room for the night. I'm, I'm kicked back on the bed, and I, I do what every person from my generation does. I'm laying on the bed, and I pull my phone out. I start flipping through, and I've got a Ziploc bag of gummy bears in my suitcase. Tyler wanted gummy bears, and they're Haribo gummy bears. Anybody with me that those are the real gummy bears? Like, you don't eat any other kind of gummy bears. Haribo is the, is the kind to eat. So we had a big bag, and we split them. I took half of them, put them in a Ziploc. Tyler took the rest in his room. So I'm laying on the bed, ready to unwind, flipping through my phone, eating my gummy bears. All is well. So I'm eating my gummy bears. And uh, Connor, uh, my nephew who actually, he goes to another church, but he went on this trip with us. He comes in, he kind of pops down on the bed. What you doing? I'm just reading Facebook and eating my gummy bears. The world is great. And Connor said something to me, completely out of the blue. I don't know what prompted him to tell me. But he says to me, you know the green ones are strawberry, right? No, Connor. Buddy, the green ones aren't strawberry. Green ones are lime or apple. Green is never strawberry. Yeah, the green ones are strawberry. Connor, no, they're not. I promise. I promise they are. So I immediately, I, I immediately dig through my bag... And I find, uh, this is just one, but I found four or five green ones. I'm like, I'm going to find out. I think he's right. <laughs> I didn't know. When I eat gummy bears, I just, I just handful. You know, like put eight or ten in your mouth and just mush them around. I didn't pay attention. I knew the clear ones were pineapple because those are my favorites. But I'm like... I think he's right. These taste like strawberry. So I have to know for sure because I'm a skeptic. And I don't just Google anything. So I go, I go, I Google, I find the Haribo website, like the company website that makes the gummy bears. I'm like, I got to find out if there's something on their website. Y'all, there it is. The green ones are strawberry. And, and my whole world at this point is completely upside down. My, my whole way of thinking. I'm like, what in the world? So I start questioning everything. So, so then I'm, I'm like, well, do I have all the other flavors right? So I'm looking on the website, and uh, man, there's not a clear one in here. That stinks. The clear ones are pineapple. I had that right. The yellow ones are lemon. That was right. The orange are orange. Very good. <laughs> yeah, I had that right. But then I got to the red ones. What flavor do you think the red ones are? Cherry? That's what I thought too. No, they're raspberry. The red ones are raspberry and the green ones are strawberry. Completely changed my life. It changed the way I eat gummy bears from now on. But it also changed 
the way that I think about evangelism. Because that same encounter I had that night with the gummy bears is exactly the kind of encounter that Jesus is waiting to have with lost people. There are people all around us who think they know who Jesus is, but they don't. And they don't know that they don't really know who Jesus is. There was no way I was ever going to think about looking to find out what flavor the gummy bears are unless Connor had told me. I would have never come up with that on my own. They think they know Jesus. They think that Jesus is narrow-minded and judgmental. They think that Jesus holds all their sins and mistakes against them. They think Jesus is exclusive and only for a certain kind of people. They think Jesus can't make anything good out of their messy lives. And they think Jesus doesn't want them because they're too broken and too dirty. And folks, none of those things are true about Jesus. Jesus is good. The gospel is good news. But those people may never know the goodness of the gospel unless somebody tells them. Look at Psalm 34, 8. <laughs> Taste and see that the Lord is what? He's good. And oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. That is our message. It's up to us, the ones who have tasted and seen that Jesus is good. We know how good he is. We've experienced it. We've tasted it. The question for us is why aren't we telling anybody? It's because we're afraid. But we can't be afraid. We can't let our fear keep us from experiencing the joy of telling the greatest news of all to someone who doesn't even know that they don't even know what God has done for them. Because once you tell, then they hear. And once they hear, the Spirit helps them believe. And then when they believe, they cry out to God. And when they cry out to God, He brings them salvation. This is what I'm afraid is true. There are more of us that will go out this week and tell somebody that the green gummy bears are strawberry than we will tell them that Jesus is good. You'll talk about gummy bears more than you'll talk about Jesus. But we can't do that. That's just not the message. This is the message. And there is nothing like letting the Holy Spirit muster up the courage in you to be able to open your mouth and tell somebody about Jesus. And even if you are babbling and you're not even sure what you're saying is the right stuff, the Holy Spirit takes your words and He does something supernatural in the ears and the minds and the hearts of that person that you don't even see. And He begins to create 
faith and belief in them because you were faithful to just open your mouth and talk about Jesus. And I promise that if you do that, Jesus will not only change the life of the person that you are sharing with. When you experience that, he changes yours too. And your life is never the same once you get to be a part of telling about the taste and the goodness of Jesus.